Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Hallelujah. And I'm mindful of the Word of God that says, Today is the day of salvation. And today is the day the Lord has made, and so we shall rejoice in it. Well, we're in a series... First comes love, then comes baggage. (laughs) And um, I want to read one scripture up front today. We're going to go through many scriptures, but just going to read one up front today to set the the tone for this message. It's Proverbs 6, verse 27. Solomon writes, he says, Can a man... Can a person take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? I want to preach a message today titled Firebox. Will you say that with me? Firebox. Let me pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you the kingdom is here. And I thank you, Lord, that the gates of hell will not prevail against your people, that your blood, Lord, upon our life and in our life, protects us. Your Holy Spirit seals and guides and revives us. And we ask that you would come with your holy fire and touch hearts, touch homes, touch lives today. I yield to your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. The culture we live in, friends, is a culture that declares a gospel. They declare something that they believe is good news. They, the culture around us, declares a gospel of convenience. When you think about the issue of relationships or even marriage, we live in a culture where it's a gospel of convenience. Live together without a binding commitment, without a long-term commitment. Take part in sexual pleasure with another without a binding commitment. There's this convenience of let's try each other out before we enter into a long married commitment. The culture of convenience is now divorced for any cause, for any reason. It's interesting because in the days of Jesus when He was on the earth with His ministry, it wasn't just the culture of the unbelieving world that began to live and declare a culture of convenience. The Pharisees and the religious leaders of Jesus' day partook in a culture of convenience. The Pharisees turned the condition that was in Moses' law of being able to write a certificate of divorce and give it to their wife. They turned that into a gospel or they turned it into a thing of convenience. They began to write a certificate of divorce to those they were married to for any reason. And Jesus came and He began to expose that they were turning that 
clause in the law of Moses, they were turning it into something that just allowed them to fulfill their own lust, their own pleasure. And Jesus said, look, if you are writing a certificate of divorce to your spouse because you've already in your heart picked out the next one, He said, you're an adulterer. Jesus faced it. But you know, it's not just in Jesus' day. It's in our day. Because every generation and every culture is always facing this question. What do we do when it's not convenient? What do you do when things are not convenient for you? Do standards change when things aren't convenient for you? Does the culture around us change standards when it's no longer convenient? This is the question that faces every culture. When you think about marriage and you think about the context of marriage, marriage is not meant to be entirely convenient. You say, well, Pastor Chad, I need to understand how you're using the word convenient today. Well, if you look convenient up in the dictionary... Part of its definition means suitable to ease or comfortable for use. If you think that marriage is just something that is only suitable to ease or something that's just comfortable for use, you're going to have a hard road ahead when it comes to marriage. See, listen, marriage is created by God as a firebox. As a firebox. Oftentimes, if you're like me, we think of being boxed in only in the negative sense. If you're like me, you don't like to be boxed in because often that phrase boxed in speaks to being controlled, being hindered, being restricted. To me, as a follower of Jesus now that has counted the cost and served Him and pursued His call in my life for 25 plus years, when I think of being boxed in, I think of someone trying to hinder the liberality that God's called me to in Christ. But there are examples in times where being boxed in is a positive thing. And when it comes to this firebox that I'm talking about today and the firebox of marriage, being boxed in in this way is a positive thing. Marriage is still God's idea. And marriage is created by God to be a firebox because there's a fire of passion that you and I face. I want to speak first about this fire of passion. Proverbs 6.27, the scripture I read in the beginning, said, can a man take fire to his bosom? and his clothes not be burned. Here Solomon knows as he is setting parables and setting words of wisdom for his children. He's discipling them. Solomon knows about the fire of passion. Here this fire that he's referring to is sexual passion. But this fire of passion, he says, not in the right context, harms a man. It harms a person. That's why he says, clothes being burned. If you on your way in today to the gathering, if your clothes just all of a sudden were burned and just completely 
singed and burned, what does that mean? It means you would become exposed. Your nakedness would be exposed. What Solomon is saying is, is the fire of sexual passion, not in the right box, in the right context, it leads to shame. It leads to a nakedness. It leads to a sense of guilt and inferiority and, and awareness of sinfulness and shame. And so the fire of passion needs a fire box. It, it needs something that will confine it because the fire of passion, sexual passion is so strong. When you think about it, it's so strong it has turned friendships into friends with benefits in our culture around us. The fire of passion is so strong it has turned homogeneous friendships in our nation into the sexual sins of homosexuality and lesbianism. This is how strong the passion is. And so the fire of sexual passion and desire for pleasure is so strong, it's so powerful, it needs a firebox. A firebox to restrict it, a firebox to protect it, a firebox to contain it in a safe manner. When you hear the word safe manner, think about this, if you're considering getting married to a person, if you know who you're marrying, HIV is not a possibility. If you know the life and who you really are marrying, herpes is not a possibility. Sexual diseases are not a possibility if you know who you're marrying. But outside of the context of the firebox, danger and those things become plausible. They become possible. The fire of passion so strong it led Solomon the wisest ordinary human ever to live, to let that fire burn so much that it burned out of his palace into all the borders and the nations around him. Where he married hundreds of women of other nations who did not know the only true God. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, one sent by Jesus, he told the Corinthians, that because this fire of passion is so strong in most people, they should get married. He said they should put themselves in the firebox. Paul said because this desire is so strong that the firebox is, is not something that is negative. It's something that God has designed and provided as a positive. 1 Corinthians 7.1, I believe they have it, they'll put it up. It says, now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman nevertheless because of sexual immorality. Because this fire of sexual passion is so strong, let each man have his own wife. and Let each woman have her own husband. Paul said most people aren't born or given by God the gift of celibacy. We have horrible examples of people that have tried to declare themselves called to celibacy in certain traditions of our faith where it didn't work. Where that passion was so strong that in convents and different places it grew homogeneous friendships into sexual perversion. This is why in the Song of Solomon, chapter 2 and verse 7, it says, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, 
by the gazelles or by the doles of the field. Do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. What Solomon is saying is this, this desire is so strong that you don't want it to be stirred up until it pleases, until it's a pleasing time. When I think about that and what it means, I think about how as parents or, you know, if you're watching kids, that we instruct and tell kids not to play with fire. Why? Because their character and the understanding of kids don't know the potential danger or devastation that fire can bring. You you don't, as parents, send kids around carrying fire and torches. That's why Ecclesiastes 3 says there's a time for every desire. Just a couple years ago when I looked at the Hebrew of that Ecclesiastes 3 that's well known, even the Beatles wrote a song about it. But it says uh, there's a time for every, there's a season for every purpose. But that in the Hebrew means there's a time for every desire. You say, well, Pastor Chad, adults have burnt down things. Things are burning across our nation and adults are burning them. Why have adults burned things down as well? Listen, because the lack of character formation. Character matters. You say, well, Pastor Chad, before you move on, This desire has been awakened in my life before it was a desirable time. As pastors, you can imagine as one of the graces that God has to put upon our life is the gift of listening. And as you can passionately listen to the horror stories of sin and its effect in homes and upon people where these desires have been awakened because of physical abuse, sexual abuse, I want to just encourage you that we serve a God who's a restoring God. We serve a God that hasn't left us in a place where sin has to have the last word and the last laugh in our life. That we serve a God that redeems what the enemy meant for evil, what the enemy meant to destroy you. We serve a God that can bring healing out of the hardness and the hurt of your past But adults have burned things down because of a lack of character formation. See, we all need a box of character in our life. We we need the formation of, of godly character. Because character, godly character, establishes healthy boundaries. When you get enough godly character in our life, it equals a box of character that protects us. Scripture says that without godly character, we're like a moving vessel with broken down walls where anything can access our heart, anything can seek to overtake our purpose, anything can begin to capture our attention and our motivation. The firebox of marriage is intended to protect our character because God designed it so that this fire of passion would have a safe and secure and protected way where that fire of passion could be expressed in a holy way 
in a committed way. The firebox of marriage, though, also reveals our character. The firebox of marriage is not only intended to protect our character, how many of you married folks know that the firebox of marriage then reveals our character? Or let me make it a little more clear for some of us. Or reveals our lack of character. At least godly character. We all got character. We just don't all have the character that we desire or need. I remember once talking to a young man who was dating or courting a young girl and he was sort of at that pivotal point of thinking, should we continue to move forward? Should I begin to consider her as potential wife? Or should I just, you know, transition out of the relationship? And as he began to talk with me, he said, you know, um, every guy, I guess, has this scale or standard, at least most. He said, you know, physically, she's like an 8 out of 10 on my scale. And I said, well, what's the issue with that? Because I said, when you get in the firebox and you're in the moment of sexual passion in marriage, if whether she's an 8 or 10, it ain't going to matter. But you know what I told him? I said, but you know what will matter? is Do you want a woman who might be an 8 to you physically understand her? But has godly character. That's willing to work with her hands. That's willing to clean the house. and Willing to cook. Willing to have kids. Willing to raise the kids. And that light bulb went off. See, there might be young men, a lot of people on your whatever your standards that are tens, but a lot of tens don't have to do the hard work to get character. And so they're not willing to work. They become entitled. That young man got wisdom. He put a ring on that finger not too long after. And the last I've checked, they're still happily married with kids. Here's my point. This character matters. Some of you are thinking, do they check the box? But it needs to be boxes. Because there's more to marriage in the firebox than just the sexual passion. There's, what about the box of character? I want to tell some singles today. Court for great length but do engagement for short length. Court and date for a long time because you need seasons in order to know fruit. But once you're engaged, and be engaged for a short time. And if they don't check the boxes and the box of character, then don't put them in the firebox of marriage with you. I want to... Remind us all that God has a zealous fire. He's got a zealous fire of passion that He can fill us with. See, people who rush into marriage often end up rushing out of the marriage. So there is the fire of passion. That's why God's designed a firebox of marriage to contain and protect and a safe place for that fire of sexual passion to burn, but then there's also when it comes to the firebox of marriage, 
the fire of tongues. Look with me at James chapter 3 and verse 4. Oh, thank you for the blood of Jesus. James says, look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. Even so, someone say, even so. That's a fancy way of saying likewise. The tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles? The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body, sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. Wow. We were recently at the ocean, me and my family, and these big cruise ships were coming out of dock, going into the ocean. And you see these large, massive ships. One was even a casino. It's amazing how you see how the Old Covenant, uh, if you look at life around you, how the Old Covenant wouldn't work. It can't give life. And that's why Jesus came to give life in the New Covenant. Because humans look for loopholes and laws. And there's states, you know, they can't have gambling, but then they just put them on a boat and go out just far enough where it's outside of that state's territory. And they just stay out there in the water rolling their money away. But you see these large ships going and they just have these small rudders that's guiding these massive ships. Here James says, listen, likewise our tongue is one of the littlest members of our body, yet it directs the whole body. It will direct the course of your life But you know what else it will do? It will direct what kind of fire is in the firebox of marriage. There's a picture they have of a firebox, I think. I want you to see it because this is it. It was not, I don't know, it was maybe a week, week and a half ago, I was going through my daily routine and I heard firebox. I had never heard that phrase. I had to go look it up. In fact, I talk with some people coming in. I said, do you have a firebox? They said, I don't even know what a firebox is, Pastor. I need, I need to hear the sermon. This is what a firebox is. It's a real thing. When you get a firebox in some homes, it's called by our culture a fireplace. But it's a firebox. It's something that, again, protects and contains the fire. Marriage is like that. But in marriage, different types of fire can burn. And here the tongue can set the firebox of marriage in a home. It can set it on fire with the fires of hell. Notice it says the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. And just like the tongue can defile a whole person's life, the tongues in marriage can defile the whole house. The whole house gets set on fire by the enemy and who wants to create division and strife, bitterness and anger. You know, coming out of our last point, when you think about the fire of passion and how strong Scripture alludes to how strong sexual passion is now in human's life, 
you want to know all the details of why you need to get in growth phases, we spent hours breaking all that kind of stuff down. But pulpit preaching got a different purpose today. But it made me ask the question, how can such a strong fire of sexual passion be quenched in the firebox of marriage? When you look at Scripture and it talks about how strong sexual passion is, and God's designed a firebox, a, a safe place for that sexual passion to be engaged in, and it becomes holy in that context and wonderful in that context. How then can in marriage, the firebox of marriage, that fire that's so strong be quenched? And I'll tell you why. Because a greater and more sinister fire begins to burn out of control in that firebox marriage. The fire of tongues. Hellish, defiling, disrespecting words to each other. Words that are sharper than knives in the kitchen. And those type of fiery strife, mean-spirited, hateful, angry words can absolutely subdue and quench the sexual fire between a husband and a wife. This is why Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruit. You know what's in every fruit, friends? Seed. And words are like seeds, and that's why it says life and death's in it. The words we speak in the firebox of marriage is planting seeds that leads to the fruit we're going to eat and harvest in marriage. And this is why the firebox that God's designed is a box to form godly character. You can't meet a godly person. I'm talking about deeply godly. Who just has a loose tongue. Because Jesus said out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Meaning it's a lack of maturity and a lack of character that's reflected in our words and how we talk to each other. When I speak in an unkind way to my wife, that's, a, that's the firebox, the, the heat and firebox of marriage revealing to me a lack of character, a lack of godly strength in a moment of high emotions or tension. This is why James 3.2 says, For we all stumble in many things, if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. You know what perfect there is? If you've been around here long enough, we've taught you. That's the Greek word for mature. What it's saying is a mature person in Christ doesn't stumble in word. Why? Because they have had godly character, the character box Godliness formed on the inside of them. God has grace for you and I to become conformed to the image of Christ. One of the most beautiful pictures biblically that illustrates the truth of what we're seeing scripturally is when Jesus is hanging between heaven and earth and He's pierced. You ever been in the firebox of marriage and you've been pierced? been done wrong, your mate has spoken in a piercing way to you, here's Jesus, He's pierced physically. 
hanging between heaven and earth as he's being squeezed by the pressures of the moment in life. When we get squeezed, what's in us comes out. You don't squeeze an orange juice, I mean an orange, and get apple juice. He's being squeezed and what happens? He says, Father, forgive them. For they do not intimately have revelation knowledge on what they do. This is why Proverbs 12, 18 says, There is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. You don't become wise overnight, but God's leading us on a journey, and the firebox of marriage is a journey where God can lead us to become wise, that we would utilize our tongue, this little member, to promote health to our spouse and to our context of marriage. I want to speak to some husbands today, and I want to speak to an issue that faces so many women. I'm not going to get into the biblical reasons or psychology of why, but so many women pierce themselves. Women are very vulnerable of constantly piercing themselves, of being harder on themselves than God the perfect Father would be to them. So many women have self-talk that's negative. Self-hatred because of standards that's been imposed or standards they have self-imposed. And in the Old Covenant, God shows part of the leadership of the husband that He's called the male to in the home. It's a leadership not to dominate. And in Numbers 30 and 13 through 16, God gives a type in the Old Covenant. It says that when a husband hears the wife or even a young daughter in the home make an inner vow, make an oath, says something negative about them. I'm a failure. I'll never measure up. I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. And they begin to allow standards to pierce themselves. The old covenant was, it says, if the husband or the father hears that, they can disavow it. They can make it void. Or husbands can confirm it. As leaders in the home, and this is part of what male leadership looks like in a biblical healthy way, is we're to make void the lies that women allow to be spoken to themselves. Things that they try to say to pierce themselves, we void that and say that's not what God has for you. God's got grace and better days for you. He's a God of redemption and restoration. Or when we hear wives speak the promises of God about themselves or our daughters speak the promises of God, we confirm it. We give our amen to it. We say, yes, that's right. God will fulfill that good word in your life. Listen, it is a hard path to have the battle swords of the world swinging all around us. The lies of the world all around us. The piercing talk of hatred and division and strife all around us in the world around us. And then also 
having to watch out for swords at home also. It's a hard path. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Listen to me. Soft hearts give soft answers. But hard hearts give harsh words. God's got a fire for all of us, the fire of His presence that can soften our hearts where they've been hardened. God's able to make you and I be who in our own ability we could never be. That when we're pierced by those closest to us, we can respond with cursing with blessing. That's what Peter said, all that the sons and daughters of God, that we're called to bless, not curse. To bless those who speak against us. Proverbs 21.19 says, Better to dwell in the wilderness than with the contentious and angry woman. Did you know that Jesus didn't fast 40 days in the palace? In the home, He fasted in the wilderness. It was in the wilderness where Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights. In a spiritual application of this verse, it's better to spend time fasting and in long times of prayer than to continue on in your marriage as things have been going. When you're fed up, when you're tired of the hellish, sinister plots of the enemy that's been released because of the fiery tongues of wrong words, you'll pull away and say, enough's enough. I'd rather go without food and fast and seek first the kingdom in times of long prayer than to continue to have the hounds of hell begin to continue to bring division and strife and pain in my marriage. In Psalms 128.1 says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. This answers why some of us have seen unbelieving married couples have a better experience in their home than a believing married couple. Why? Because it doesn't say blessed are those who confess Jesus as Lord. It's blessed is everyone who walks in His ways. Meaning, an unbeliever person might not even know it's the way of the Lord, but they do something that is the way of the Lord and they still are blessed by doing it. I know unbelievers that give way more than some of the stingy Believers who've got wrong mentalities about money in the church. And you see, they get blessed with more. Why? Because the laws of God's kingdom works. He has ways regardless. And I've seen some marriages of unbelievers where they're kind to one another. They're forgiving to one another. They remember they're on the same team with one another. And therefore they have this blessed peace in their home. But you can get believers in Jesus who's not walking according to God's Word of being kind and tender-hearted and listening and not experience that peace in the home. So I want to encourage us saints, followers of Jesus, that we would depend on the fire of His Spirit to walk in His ways. That we would speak kind and respectfully to one another. That by the grace of God and our anger, we wouldn't say things to each other that later we would regret. 
that we would be willing to repent and acknowledge our mistakes to one another. When you think about the fire of tongues, I think about an exhortation to you young single ladies. It's don't allow the words of some guy. Don't allow some guy to tell you, God told me you're my wife. Listen to me. The easiest way for a guy to get out of establishing healthy, godly character in his life is for him just to tell you, God told me you're my wife. That removes then the need of accountability and growth. I want to remind some single women in here, you have a choice. In Genesis 24, 57, they were looking for a bride for Isaac. They sent Abraham's servant out to find a bride. But then the parents of this potential bride... They said, you know what? In Genesis 24, 37, they said, let's call the young woman, this is Rebecca, and ask her if she will go. What that means, young ladies, is you have a choice. You have a choice. Don't let people spiritualize what can be seen with your natural eyes. That he's not doing the hard work of trusting God with the box of godly character getting built in his life. Don't let him out of accountability. In Proverbs 16, 24, pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Have you ever had honey in the honeycomb? I've had it before. Honey's good. I like honey. I'm not going to lie. But honey in the honeycomb, it's sort of like what you hear me talk about all the time. That's like building with balance because it adds a little texture to the honey. There's a little bit of crunch. And then you have that, you know, the normal honey texture. Man, that's like a PB&J, you know, the dry, wet theory. If you've been around me, that's what I call it. That's why cereal's so good, folks, is you got the crunch of the cereal and then the wetness of the milk. See, I'm trying to help you when you... These are, these are natural things God put in our life to refer us to a spiritual reality of spiritual balance. Grace and truth. I had a revelation this week as I was teaching growth phases. We're talking about grace and truth. Because we live in a society and a culture that's struggling bad with this. And it's trying to infiltrate the church. When Jesus saw lepers... He didn't enter into delusion and say you didn't have leprosy or you don't have leprosy. That, that's a false positivity called delusion. That's false op- op- optimism. When the woman was caught in adultery, He didn't say, oh, you weren't caught in anything. It's okay. No, no. Truth is, sin is sin, adultery is adultery, leprosy is leprosy. But Jesus wasn't just full of truth. He was full of grace. So once the truth was acknowledged, then His grace removed and healed and removed it. And that's what Jesus will do in our life. 
that where the fire of passion has went wrong and the fire of tongues has went wrong, the truth is, as we acknowledge and says, it's went wrong. But Jesus then has grace to remove the wrongs and to transform us, to restore us, to heal us, to save us, to deliver us. When I was thinking about the honey and the honeycomb, I, I went back to Samson's story and his context regarding marriage. And it was interesting because in the story of Samson, it says he was going down a path one day and a young lion surprised him and came upon him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he tore that lion, it said, like a goat. I don't really know why it says that because I can't tear a goat either, much less a lion. But anyway, he, he tore it in half, killed it. He comes back later and it says that there's honey in the carcass, in the dead carcass. So in Judges 14 and verse 12, I think they have this. It says, Then Samson said to them, Let me pose a riddle to you. So he's about to marry this girl. If you can correctly solve and explain it to me within the seven days of the feast, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. But if you cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. And they said to him, Pose your riddle that we may hear it. So he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat. And out of the strong came something sweet. Now for three days they could not explain the riddle. Oh, there's so much types in this about Jesus and His ways. But notice it said, out of the eater. Let me ask you something, friends. What do you eat with? Yeah, she's on it today. Your mouth. Out of the eater, your mouth. So if your mouth has been being used by the adversary, the devil who walks about like a roaring lion, in the firebox of marriage, notice what can happen. Notice how Samson here's a type of what God can do. Out of the eater, your mouth can come something sweet for your spouse to eat. Out of your mouth can come something sweet. But notice the lion had to die. You know what that means? You have to be willing to die to your old habits, to your old ways. Listen, to the old culture, for some of you, what you saw in your house growing up, you got to be willing to die to that. And out of that death, three days, Jesus' death, can come a resurrection where now your mouth can begin to release sweetness like honey upon your spouse. Verse 18, the story concluded, said, So the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. I wanted to bring this in because I, I've been talking to a lot of single ladies. I want to talk to some single men. Here the lack of character in this woman that Samson was going to marry is exposed. She lacked a box of godly character. Because when you have a box of godly character, you cannot be plowed by others. What that means is you cannot be pressured and influenced where the desires of others get into you and begin to dictate what you do. She was able to be plowed, meaning they got through her skin and got into her heart and, and dictated what she did. See, listen to me. A box of godly character is like silver, gold, and precious stones. And you can't plow those things. They'll break the plow, friend. So listen, young men, single men, a woman that is more devoted to her past her upbringing, her culture, and her friends 
than would be to her husband isn't ready, men, for the firebox of marriage. Because when God set it up in the beginning, said it would leave father and mother and cleave to her new husband. There was a type of this in the Old Testament that God gave in Deuteronomy 21 and verse 11. It says, If you see among the captives a beautiful woman and desire her and would take her for your wife, then you shall bring her home to your house and she shall shave her head and trim her nails. She shall put off the clothes of her captivity, remain in your house and mourn her father and mother a full month. After that you may go into her and be a husband and she shall be your wife. This was a type that when... God's people went into unbelieving nations and began to walk in their promises and inherit the land. If they saw a woman that was beautiful, they could marry, but it was on this condition. And it's a type. It's illustrating. What's it illustrating? Notice it says, you shall bring her home to your house. You shall bring her to your firebox, but she's got to be willing to shave and let go. Head represents the glory of her past. And she has to be willing to mourn father and mother, meaning transition from the past into the establishing of a new home. If not, there's going to be great difficulties. You're going to have to remind her, well, I'm not your mother, I'm not your father. I'm your husband. So there is the fire of passion. There is the fire of tongues. When it comes to the firebox of marriage, there's also the fire of purpose. The fire of purpose. Listen to me. The firebox of marriage is for the fire of purpose. What kind of purpose are we talking about? We're talking about kingdom purpose. We're talking about a godly purpose. We're talking about an internal purpose. Listen, friends, especially you singles. Talk to some married folks that's been married for a while. They'll, remind, they'll encourage you to accept this. If you don't have a purpose bigger than the pain of marriage, if you don't have a purpose bigger than the times of pain, if you don't have a purpose bigger than convenience, if you don't have a purpose bigger than the difficulties of marriage, the gospel of convenience in this culture will devour that marriage. You have to have a godly purpose that's bigger than the difficult times of marriage. You've got to have a perspective that's bigger in the moments when the perspective is that this isn't working and there's nothing negative and it's a difficult time. This is why I believe this verse, what Solomon hints at here in Proverbs 24, 27, he says, prepare your outside work. Make it fit for yourself in the field and afterward build your house. One of the ways that you build your house is you start having kids. Start having children. But listen to me, a man lost in trying to find purpose will be lost in instilling purpose into his children. A man that's lost in their purpose is not going to feel empowerment on what is the purpose God gave their children for. And I think what Solomon's saying is, is that early on you've got to have the awareness of purpose. Then you can build your house. Then you can seek to have kids. See, a marriage with the fire of godly purpose is fit to build and grow the house with children. But if you're not aware of a big enough purpose, children bring more challenges. Of course they bring joys. Of course they bring wonderful... But they bring challenges. Anything that increases 
still brings challenges. Solomon said, increase money, you still increase challenges. Increase brings challenges. God has designed marriage for many reasons, but one, He seeks godly seed. Because God's always thinking about the next generation. He's the God not just of Abraham, He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. See, having a child is equivalent of releasing a fire on the earth. But I always ask this question, what type of fire will that child be? A fire that consumes, destroys, and harms? Or a fire that warms a cold-hearted earth? A fire that heals and burns for God. See, the fire of children in the next generation, what type of fire they're going to be is often determined by the fire box, by the context of the home, of what kind of fire burns in that fire box of the home oftentimes sets up the fire of the next generation, whether it be a rebellious fire, a fire that goes in the course of the world of iniquity, or whether it will be the healing fire of God, bringing restoration and transformation and hope and true good news to those around them. The fire box matters. It's where the fire of the next generation is determined, directed, and discovered. A firebox with a husband, a marriage with a husband and wife walking in agreement for the fire of kingdom purpose, listen, is strong. Is strong. Why? Because they have something that anchors them beyond the momentary difficulties. There's a bigger purpose of God that we're involved in, we're a part of. And that gives you a perspective of hope God can take temporary pain and difficulty and bring glory and goodness out of it. We're all experienced in life enough to know that things don't always go according to plan though. Sometimes children come before a firebox has been established. Sometimes children come in marriage in the firebox before the marriage has the fire of God's purpose for their marriage. But to all that, we have the good news of the kingdom. That because of Jesus, we now have access to a God who's a consuming fire. And His fire can restore and revive and renew Bring hope where you've had despair. Bring joy where there's been sorrow. Maybe you're a single person here and you say, Pastor Chad, what do I do with the fire of sexual passion until the time of marriage? It's a very important question. It's a very legitimate question. Listen to me. You get from the Holy Spirit a fire and passion for the purpose of God that quenches in this season that fire of sexual passion. You get a greater fire from the Holy Spirit. You get a greater hunger and thirst for God's purpose for your life. 
you get a greater fire from the Holy Spirit to allow the box of godly character to be the priority of being formed in your life. And it will distract and quench that fire of sexual passion until the fire box of marriage is established in your life. That's what you do. Think of the reverse positive of a negative. I know friends who crossed the line when, when I was living in substance abuse, and I know friends that crossed the line of the some substances into those that are highly addictive. Some crossed the line and moved from you know acid and marijuana and alcohol to cocaine. And it turned them into an absolute focused priority that nothing else mattered but to have more of it. Every other passion began to be diminished by that passion for the next hit and fix. Listen to me. The inverse is true. There is a heavenly fire. There is a heavenly passion. There is a fire of the Holy Spirit that can get on the inside of you, young people, where every other desire and even the sexual passion can be diminished because you want God's kingdom purpose and godly character for you above everything else. So focus young people on the firebox of character formation before you get into the firebox of marriage. When you think about passion, we think about the passion of Jesus Christ. Come on, Van. When you think about passion, you think about the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you think about the fire of tongues and how we use our tongue, you think about a, the fire of tongues that came from heaven on the day of Pentecost. You say, Pastor Chad, I can't tame my tongue. That's right, no person can tame their tongue. That's the good news of the gospel, that because of the passion of Jesus, we now can have a fire from heaven. The Holy Spirit, the tongue tamer, can come and fill our hearts with the love of God. That the love of God can be shed abroad in our heart. That when we're pierced by negative words and words of strife and hatred and anger around us, when we're squeezed, the love of God flows out of our heart. The honey of words that edify and build up flow. When you think about the fire of purpose, you think about the eternal Father and His purpose. And He didn't just want a couple sons and daughters. He wanted a whole host of sons and daughters. If you're here today and you don't know the fire of purpose, you don't know the fire of the eternal Father's purpose, He sent Jesus who was passionate for you who took the punishment of our sins, who was bruised for our iniquities and rebellions and wrongdoings, so that we could be forgiven, we could be restored with our Maker, our Creator, that we could be brought into a position of being in right standing with God through our faith in Jesus Christ, our willingness to walk away from our past and trust Jesus as Lord and leader of our life so that then the Holy Spirit can fill us. Can fill us with a fire that's greater than natural fire. With a love that's greater than hate. With the capacity to bless 
when we're wronged, to forgive while we're still hurt, to be faithful when others have been unfaithful. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.